Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Fullen. Thanks for listening. This episode, as ever, is supported by The Podcast Host. If you're looking to start a podcast to help build your freelance business, your personal brand, or your hobby just to have fun, then check them out. They have courses and a whole lot more. The Podcast Host. Let's crack on, though, and find out what it's like being freelance for UI and UX designer Mike Hints. I think I go through cycles of, like, every three months wanting to quit and get a job and move to San Francisco or move to Vancouver or wherever all the work is and I'm probably due one of those crises any minute. If you're not enjoying it, you're not doing great work and if you're not doing great work, you won't get any better work because you'll be known as doing these magazines for fishing rods or whatever. Yes, hello, welcome to another one, hope you're well. Just to point out a few things very quickly, beingfreelance.com is the website, loads of guests there, plus key takeaway points for this episode and links to everything that Mike is up to, as there is for all of our other guests. you also find a link to the conference that I'm going to be at in June, not just at, like hanging out, but actually doing this podcast kind of live. Instead of one guest, we're doing a panel uh, discussion about being freelance, really looking forward to it it's called new media europe and tickets are on sale now so the link is at beingfreelance.com i realize you could be listening to this at any point in the future so i'll I'll just say it is in june 2016 and of course uh, you can also sign up to our mailing list and join us on twitter at being freelance oh and leave a review on itunes i've not said that for a while that's really nice when you do that thanks so much if you have right let's say hello though to this week's guest who is mike a freelance UI and UX designer, uh, sort of based in the Midlands in the UK. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you doing? I'm well, and looking forward to chatting to you about this. How about we get started chatting about how you got started being freelance? So, wow. Um, I've got such a, an interesting, well, interesting in terms of uh, career. I started straight from college after doing graphic design by getting a job in the sort of collectibles industry designing for licensed products such as like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Uh, We designed sort of trading cards and sticker collections and uh, toys and, you know, statues and lifeographic art prints. You know, you name it, we probably designed it and there's probably loads of stuff sitting on your shelves out there that... (laughs) you know, are uh, part of all you uh, sort of uh, geekies, uh, people's collections. Yeah, so, and um, I started doing that and that went on for uh, probably about a good six, seven years. And sadly, um, the company got bought out by Corgi, the die-cast car people. And then after about six or eight months, everyone got made redundant. So... You know, typical route to freelance, really. Redundancy, strike, fear in your heart and forcing you to do other stuff. So you were a graphic designer, were you, Mm -hmm. at that point? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm coming up to my 35th birthday, so I'm a bit older than probably some of these UI, UX kids that are on the, you know, coming (laughs) coming here, stealing all our work. Um, But... um, I started just traditional design, so print-based, and I got involved heavily with sort of the companies, which was sort of like a wholesaler. I got involved designing their website and doing some of their emails and stuff. So that was my first sort of folly into digital, which was probably um, around... 2004 2005 I would have said when sort of I first started 
hacking at websites stuff and I, I did do it for a, a number of years after I got made redundant building really cheap websites and stuff and it just made me miserable so um, I quickly decided to focus on stuff that I really enjoyed and that was you know leaning towards more like digital products and you know it took me a long time to get there and I've made a lot of mistakes and I won't be uh, afraid to discuss them here but you know it's kind of uh, yeah traditional to merging into digital and now I'm solely you know designing for startups and in that industry wow so you really have carved yourself uh, a career you know a, a job title if you like in something that you have taught yourself the principles much, are based yeah. on graphic design there's obviously yeah, design yeah. Principles, I mean but- Design in general is, I've always been led to believe that it's problem solving. And one of the things that I feel I'm quite strong at is solving people's problems and how they get stuff done and, you know, meeting deadlines and, and UI and UX, especially the UX side is purely problem solving and the fact that I design is helpful and I have, uh, I've taught myself a lot of stuff and, um, you know, I've ventured out there and done stuff on my own. I've made my own products and stuff in order to get where I am today. And also along the way, I've had a few kind of, you can't do this. I've had a few job interviews and stuff where people said, sorry, we like what you do, but you're not good enough and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's kind of urged me on. We should probably say, actually, because obviously this is a broad uh, podcast. So UI, UX, user interface and user experience right yes okay. yeah so how things look and how things work so when you first found yourself redundant and you went freelance those you i mean you mentioned that you started building websites but you were you were doing graphic design print print design mm-hmm. how were you finding those first clients they're really challenging um i i when we got made redundant um I had a, a friend, Dave, who I used to work with, and we we worked together for about two years after I got made redundant. And um, he had just gone through, you know, horrendous cancer ordeal, and he had an operation, and you know, his chances to survive was really slim. And when he pulled through it, and you know, he's fighting fit now, expecting twin uh, children at the moment. So you know, absolutely amazing sort of story, and. Um, we kind of you know we talked and we said you know we can do this and we spent a good two years going to trade shows and really hitting hard trying to win these projects and you know it was probably still largely print based at that time but we were winning the other website and you know it meant me building them and going you know it i think the web's so much more accessible now with all the frameworks and stuff you can get back in those days it was like you know making it work for all the browsers especially the the dreaded internet explorers was horrendous and i think i managed to talk around quite a lot of the problems without actually solving them because i just you know truthfully i'm not a developer and i didn't really know what i was doing but you know at that time being redundant and needing an income you know you had to do what you had to do but it's such great experience to physically get your hands dirty and try and hack at something like that so did the two of you actually join forces as in like working together as a company yeah, well, not an official company. We were both uh, self-employed, but we kind of faced as a company called Sans Deputy. And I, I don't even, I think that was a terrible font analogy. <laughs> it was like Sans Serif, Sans Deputy. Yeah, it was It was a pretty bad name. And every time you try it, the, the biggest, one of the biggest lessons I learned earlier on is 
stick to something that people can say and spell. <laughs> <laughs> Simple advice, but you wouldn't believe me how many it says. Is that sands with a D? No, that's sand, ass, S, without, you know, to be without, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, that didn't really go out. And he ended up obviously needing, to, there wasn't a lot of money. We really did struggle by for two years and he ended up getting a, a marketing job and, you know, he's fairly successful with a Birmingham agency now. And, um, you know, uh, I kind of got my head down and started uh, refining what I did because another lesson that I learned and I took probably too long to learn it. It probably, you know, wasn't until sort of uh, my fourth or fifth year of being a freelancer. I think I'm up to about eight now. But um, it it was do one thing well and stick to it. And at that time, I was doing about 15 different sort of things, be it illustration, be it logo design, be it print, be it catalogue, you name it, I was doing it. And it just kind of made me miserable. So one day a uh, bit of a revelation dropped the whole sans deputy thing traded as mike hints under my name and you know invested in a website wordpress website and you know found a bit of success that way what was your niche when you thought i'm going to focus what did you decide to focus on so initially it was kind of websites and apps really it was around the time when everybody needed an app and that's still the case now it's just more productized I believe um I sort of put quite a bit of my money my own money into a game I had an idea for a game and I paid a developer to build it and we uh, it, it wasn't commercially successful, but in terms of the experience I got from that and the work that came via people seeing it and seeing the fact that I designed apps and games and stuff like that, you know, it, it's it's paid for itself a, a hundred times over by now. And um, so, you know, I really had to think about what it is that I enjoyed doing and at that time, and it still is today, you know, it was designing apps and games and websites and kind of um products man though i mean it's quite a, it's quite a leap isn't it as a freelancer you you know you sort of sell your skill mm-hmm. but then to think ah do you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna plow my money my precious money that i've earned through building mm. this i'm gonna put that into a product was it just a side project that you know was to linked into your design work or was it that you thought nah come on i can well, do angry birds or whatever it might be you know i think it was I've always loved puzzle games, so I've really enjoyed, um, you know, playing Bejeweled and, you know, Tetris. I grew up, the whole family grew up playing Tetris, so it was always kind of in my blood. And when I thought of this puzzle game, I thought it was was around the time when, you know, you kind of saw people having success with apps and you kind of, you go in there naively thinking this app will get me a million downloads and it didn't. I think we got about 50,000 downloads and we had a lot of help along the way by uh, some of the app websites that promoted it when it went free and stuff like that. But in terms of paid downloads, I think it was about 10 or 20 and in terms of free downloads, it was about 50,000. So you can instantly see the market and how, that's why freemium freemium is that how you say it mm, <laughs> that mm. that word is so popular now because um back in the day when you were trying to charge for stuff you know very rarely people bought it but yeah it was a risk and you know i've got a very supportive wife and um she you know she's always believed in my ideas and stuff and it helps to have that sort of network around and i think if i didn't do it 
I'd probably be not where I was today. So, I'm, you know, it's one of those gambles that, in a strange way, paid off, really. Well, yeah, because, OK, it didn't come back financially, literally at the time. Yeah. But uh, it poured in experience. And as you say, people saw that you were able to do something. Is, is that, Have you done more side projects then as the years yeah, have gone by? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my day job obviously is design and um, my wife actually works part-time with me now uh, and we run a studio called Bossanova Design Limited and we work with startups all over the place. So, um, you know, we, we get so much interest and a lot of that still comes by my freelance website. You know, very rarely do we get any physical agency inquiries via that website. But, you know, it's early days. We've only been trading a year and the main side project I'm running at the moment is a collaborative joke writing website called Howler and that's had really good success you know the retention on the site is insane we've got an app for the iPhone and we've got a a responsive web version and the idea is one person sets up the joke and then the community add different punchlines and they get voted on and the best rise to the top and the worst you know fall off the planet and um, that's been such a huge uh, learning curve not only from a I work with startups point of view but working with communities like, I'm really fortunate that we've got about three or four hundred really engaged users that you know so far in a year well actually less than a year we launched around May we've had about 35,000 jokes written on it so you know it's um it's really impressive but you know, talking to these people day in, day out um, is, you know, reward enough. Obviously, I'd like to turn it into a commercial thing because who wouldn't want to work on a, a joke website for, <laughs> and, earn, and earn money from it? But, you know, we um, we do a podcast through that, which, you know, again, takes a lot of time. So, you know, with the business and the website and the podcast and, you know, uh, I'm doing a few other little bits with um, a couple of developer friends. And, you know, I kind of, I love it. You know, I love being being part of the industry and I think the passion hopefully shows in the work yeah it's awesome I mean I, I love how it looks like great fun anyway but it's it's the fact that as well as being something that you care about it is feeding into your your legitimacy I guess mm. you know of of being the expert in what you do it's um it's good to have that experience because um when a client approaches me and I'm really blessed you know my, I, I get more inquiries than I can ever handle and it does mean that I can be picky about who I work with and you know it's it's the dream but you know as this podcast hopefully explains you know it's the kind of the the pain and the stress and the time you know the sort of like six or seven years it takes you to get to that point but um I I really enjoy it and I hope that shows through with it all. Sorry, and if my... if I if I get distracted, it's because my brain's always thinking about one thing, <laughs> and uh, I, I get um, you know sort of my brain goes, oh, what, what was the question again? So uh, I apologise if I could fade off into a million different subjects. I do that. If you listen to our podcast, Howlercast, it's just ramblings. It's just the ramblings of a madman. But I guess that <laughs> I, I, I guess that's what happens when you've got like you know a few side projects and the day job at the same time. The, the brain can only handle so much. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I feel like we've kind of taken a, a leap, um, and it was me bringing, bringing on the side project thing, but from, you know, we, we had you working for Sons, Sons, uh, Sam, is that with a yeah. D or not? No. Uh, that company. <laughs> and then we had you turning into Mike Hintz and trading as Mike Hintz, but we've mm-hmm. ended up with you now as Bossa Nova Design. Yes. So what was in between there? Were you just Mike Hintz? Yeah, so I've been, I dropped the sort of fake company thing, that kind of, the problem is, is when you operate as a, a limited company and you don't really have the resources to do half the things you say, you, um, you know, you just lose that credibility. And what trading as Mike Hintz enabled me to do was, you know, take a step back and go, hey, this is me, you know, you're paying for me, this is what you get. And one of the reasons why a lot of clients stick with me is because they know it's going to get, you. you're going to work with me. And on the other side of it, that's one of the hardest things about growing a business is I don't take a huge... Well, I do take risk, obviously, we've already discussed that, but I don't take... I could easily be a, a studio of four or five people if I really wanted to, but I like working with these people and being one of those people who maybe just get stuck in meetings, creative meetings, day in, day out... I don't know if that's me, and I think that's one of the things that's resisted it. So the Mike Hintz has been really interesting because it means I can be myself, and um, I think you know if you if you've got a a personality that you like yourself, and this is going to sound really like arrogant, but like you'd hope that other people working with you really get along with you. And I try and all my clients, I try and become such good friends with them and you know I've met quite a lot of them um and it's it's paid off you know the use your name if you're in that field of working because if especially the kind of clients I was beginning to attract in you know maybe three or four years ago they weren't interested in working with an agency they want an individual with a certain skill set and if you try and sell yourself as this business you might set yourself up for a fall. Mm, interesting. So what then led to becoming Bossa Nova Design? If you don't want to build it as an agency or as a, you know, uh, what what led to that? So number of things. Um, having Chrissy join me to help me with the admin and the quotes and everything was... A blessing because I did find as I was get getting busier and busier as Mike Kent, it meant I was having less time to actually do the work, and that makes you less billable. So what Chrissy did is step in for you know part time role and really make me billable. The as soon as you've got obviously uh, a second person in the business, I think the fair thing is to set up a a limited company. So for better or worse, we obviously share that success Mm. um so you know she's a director i'm a director i it's still very much me it is purely a name change but also financial you know like um when you once you get to a certain earning threshold it it makes more financial sense yeah but you could still trade as mike hints limited oh right okay yeah i see that uh i think it's just you know probably a maturity thing i think it's I, I'm getting a bit older and, you know, I have got a great opportunity. So although let's not just go for it hell for leather, let's set something up that, you know, maybe in three or four years might mature into this agency and we are winning bigger and bigger clients. And I think when you are winning bigger clients and you want to show them off, 
sometimes as a freelancer i mean i have i trust i've had this debate this sort of inner monologue with myself <laughs> for years and that is do i work and work at it and become this person that is known as a freelancer that you know you hope people will you know sort of queue up and work with you or do you lean towards the business side and grow a business that again even bigger companies will want to work with you and I go backwards and forth all the time yeah it's uh, it's it's a tough question to answer but I think the the reason why I stepped away from Mike Hintz is it's kind of a, a separate avenue as well you know Mike Hintz will always be there I'd be foolish to take my website down because I get so many work inquiries via it but if I have this second source of income and that starts attracting bigger clients then that could be a direction for me. Yeah. Do you, you, you find that bigger clients prefer to work with a, a company name? No, actually. I think um, quite a lot of our clients um, really like the fact that it is a bit of a husband and wife team and they like that I'm on the end of the phone call and, you know, there's there's quite a lot going for that personal response. Mm. Um, we, you know, the projects, I mean... Startups, because I work largely with startups, like 90% of my clients are startups, so they're like, you know, maybe less than 18 months old or or they're emerging technical technology businesses that are growing. Um, you do have that. They're not always going to be around. And it's a really sad fact that, you know, you can work and work on these projects and they run out of funding and that's it. They're gone. So <laughs> big clients don't just because they pay bigger amounts of money because they've got funding aren't necessarily going to be around there forever you know i'm i'm not necessarily working with the 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 giant startups but you know i've had some interest over the years and um it's just one of those things that you know if you want to be doing this contract work for these big social media blue people <laughs> um then you've got to obviously i guess have a bit of a reputation to follow it and um that's part of the hard decision is to stick with my name or, or go as a company at the moment i have back i have both so i've not really decided <laughs> you you've said how much how much work comes your way which is awesome mm-hmm. how do you market yourself is it uh, purely on reputation that has built up over years or are you blogging or are you posting yourself i, I don't know uh if you just nailed SEO, what's the deal? <laughs> I think so. I think if you search UI, freelance UI or freelance UX design, I'm pretty much like one of the top results and that helps. Um, I think my, how I always explain it is I think I'm a bit of a, a success of right person, right time because my design style has always been quite flat colours and blocks of empty spaces and stuff. That's always been how I've designed and... Uh, I've had a bit of stick in the past of, you know, being a fairly lazy design style, you know, using space. But I've also heard from the other other clients that actually, you know, designing in a simple format is really hard to do. And I seem to have a lot of success that as soon as iOS and stuff started changing their style to be a lot more flatter and cleaner and, you know, a lot of white space... I just happened to have that design style that everybody liked. And <laughs> I guess, you know, Google works in ways that, you know, I invested in, a, as I said earlier, I invested in a WordPress uh, website. I got a plugin called, I think it's pronounced Yoast, and it's an SEO plugin, and it's brilliant, and it's free, and you just, each page has a different set of keywords. And 
it it's worked for me. Um, I don't suppose I'll be there forever, and I guess that's why Bossa Nova is the other arm, is hoping that if Mike Hintz, the website, does fall off Google's good list, then I'll have a, a nice little secondary website which will help us promote it. So, yeah, it's... Um, so it is mainly people searching you. It's not that you're, you know, one of these people who constantly tweets about startups, for example, or you've, you know, there's a million techniques that we've heard on this podcast alone for the way people get uh, clients. So I, I've wrote a few blogs. I'm not very good at it. Um, my wife, Chrissy's wrote a few blogs for me. Um, but it is... I'd say 90% SEO. Um, I do get a lot of recommendations, um, but a lot of that is, you know, availability and it's, you know, I don't always have the chance to work on these things. Uh, I do, I'm very, very active on Twitter, but I I don't really tweet about design all that much. I usually mm. sort of have t- uh, tweet about like TVs and movies and uh I, I like to rant a bit and I share howler updates and I talk to a lot of sort of um, got a fair few amount of followers that I, you know, tweet on a, a daily basis. It's true, everyone. He's very good on Twitter. We'll put your handle or whatever it's called <laughs> on our website, beingfreelance.com for this episode where you can get key takeaway points. And also you'll find the link to the podcast host. They're the people supporting this episode. So check them out. They are really there to help you grow a podcast or to start a podcast from scratch maybe you've got no idea where to get started they have courses they have one-on-one mentorship they have kind of like mastermind type groups everything you could think of and probably a whole lot more that they've thought of for podcasting and as i'm sure you've heard me mention they can even take the technical aspect of it off your hands so if you don't think you have time for it but you'd like to put the money into it then you can actually just record it and then hand it all over to them maybe worth checking out do so at beingfreelance.com the link is there to the podcast host and thanks to them right back to you though mike and you mentioned working with a lot of startups and the fact that they might not last forever Mm -hmm. how do you make sure you get paid we and this is another lesson we've learned in the old days it was very much monthly invoices and all that stuff um so i in the re- in the last like four three to four years very been very strict about it um put a quote together make sure on that quote you get a 50 percent deposit we operate if it's a large project we do 50 percent up front and then maybe 25 percent, 25 percent on completion we make sure there's a contract in place. We make sure that contract is obviously very plain English and it spells out what you will and won't do for that project. We make sure that it's, unless it's a fixed price project, um, which we have started to move into, the bigger projects don't always want to pay for more of your time. So we have started to move into fixed price projects, but usually it's like day rate or hour rate. And we say it's going to be 60 hours and this is the price and this is what you'll get. And you have to be really strict with it. Have you come unstuck? 
Uh, yeah, a few times. Two that I can really remember. One I worked for uh, when I first went freelance, and this was the first mistake. Um, we did some work, about £2,000 worth, and they folded the company and re relaunched it like a week later exactly the same staff and we didn't get a, you know didn't even get a look in and we tried to go through the right channels and stuff and uh probably could have pursued it a bit more but in my probably naivety I just believe that was it and you know so we lost probably about a thousand two thousand pounds with that which obviously was the first kind of thing and you know that was when I first started and you you know you, you're surviving on sort of like six or eight grand a year you know you, you you really are scraping by just because you've come from this corporate environment where it's easy you you turn up you get paid you go home to oh my god every single penny I've got to scrape by uh, and recently maybe two three years ago I worked with a startup in uh, Australia I was halfway through the project and he said I've got to go back to China um, I'll be in touch soon and never heard from him again and uh, unfortunately that's probably about a grand and a half worth of work so you know still not massive sums but you can imagine Oof. it's still <laughs> it's still a, a bit of a, a sucker punch again I could uh, there's probably loads of people out there you're shouting at the sort of uh, the uh, I was going to say radio. Then you don't listen to things on the radio <laughs> uh, at the, at their screens or iPods or whatever. And um, uh, saying we well, should have should have chased it. And maybe I should have, but you know, at the time, it's it's such a stressful thing to go through that I think if it was now and I had a bit of money behind me, you know, you can chase these things. But realistically, it's kind of I won't let that happen to me again, and that's why I take a big deposit. Mm. You mentioned them being in Australia, mm -hmm. but I th you also said about meeting people face to face. Is a lot of it remote? Yeah, like ninety percent of it is. Uh, I do quite a lot of work for UK companies, uh, London, Nottingham, uh, Coventry. You know, sort of all, all over the place. But I've also got like clients. Uh, I'm currently working with. Uh, team in Oslo in Norway we've got client in New York in Tennessee really really incredible like the amount of people we like me you know Boston I've got about two or three contacts in Boston now two or three clients and um uh so yeah quite a lot of stateside actually when you sort of uh, talk about it all but um yes yeah, it's, it's good ironically none in San Francisco Maybe there's enough of you there. That's the thing. Uh, yeah, probably. Do you tend to try and get on a face-to-face -face type call or do you just do whatever they want? Uh, we always have some form of kick-off call because I think because a lot of working with each other you know it's not just the fact that they would like to work with me I want to work with them too and you know I've had calls in the past for new work where the project's been quite exciting but you just don't want to work with the people and I think that's really important because uh, and again it only where where you're able to obviously I'm not saying you should turn down work if you if you you know don't get on with people but I do think it's a big part of the your combined success because you are working as a remote team whether you're a freelance copywriter or a freelance designer or you know a, a developer you've got to be able to you know work on a real personal basis with these people and some of these projects are really stressful and some of them do get turned up on their heads you know they can say actually the company is you know no longer doing pet food we're doing 
you know astronaut food and suddenly you're, you've, you've got a completely different product and um you know and the, that's where the problem solving comes in so i think it's it, it is important to have a kickoff call and i think that as long as you can make sure with the contract and everything that you know you know what you've got to do they know what they've got to supply and everything in between is either you know part of the flow or it's not if it falls outside of it like for example oh can you design me a logo that's fine I can do that but that's going to be an extra however many hours and you know um you've just got to be really I think you do have to be strong you have to be like so strong with these projects because you might get people that will take advantage of you if you're a bit unexperienced so I think uh being a bit sort of um, stronger and have that I know what I'm talking about attitude will see you good because they'll believe in you and I think that's a really important part. Now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself make two true one a lie let me figure out the lie. Okay yes. What have you got for me? So designed a large inflatable Death Star currently in the Lucasfilm archives is number one. Designed a WordPress plugin that gets used by over 10,000 people a day, is number two. And number three, sold an icon to a startup that got acquired by a large blue social network that pretty much everybody's on. You designed their icon? Mm-hmm. They, somebody uh, bought an icon an from icon. me. And, and they then later got acquired by Facebook. Oh, I see. So you designed an icon for a company which was later bought by Facebook. Yes. So is now used by everybody around the world. To a degree, I've literally not checked in, but I suspect it's been seen by a few people. You designed a WordPress plugin which is used by 10,000... People yes. daily, was it? Oh. And I say I, I designed it. I didn't build it, but it's got my pixels. <laughs> <laughs> and you designed a giant inflatable Death Star, was it? Yes, that is now in the Lucasfilm archives somewhere <gasps> in on Ranch Skywalker. Oh, I want all of these. Okay, <laughs> I want I want that one to be true so much that I'm that has to be true. I also love the idea of your icon being bought, you know, inadvert- you know, you didn't sell it to them. You inadvertently ends up. Yes. That's a great. So I'm going to say the WordPress plugin is the lie. Yes. Well done. Ah, done. Back on form. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would it be? Uh, give yourself, don't be so hard on yourself because what you put in you'll get out um make sure you have a contract and deposit in place because those are ridiculously important um don't get stressed by it all because you know experience counts for a lot of things yeah just generally if you like the lifestyle of being freelance and i did and it does suit me at times, not always. Um, I think I go through cycles of like every 
three months wanting to quit and get a job and move to San Francisco or move to like Vancouver or wherever all the work is and I, I still ha- I'm, I'm probably due one of those crises any minute so um, you know uh, yeah I, I do go through that and it is it is tough but if you can stick it out and put all the things that we've talked about in practice up and you like the lifestyle then it will be really really rewarding and you do get to work with you know you can always walk away from projects so you know don't be don't slave away on those projects you don't enjoy is probably the one that I'd uh, take away because if you're not enjoying it you're not doing great work and if you're not doing great work you won't get any better work because you'll be known as doing these magazines for fishing rods or whatever so (laughs) you know just uh i'm intrigued it seems like it really suits you so what is it that makes you regularly have a crisis and be drawn back towards an actual you know full-time job with somebody (sighs) This lifestyle can be really lonely. I'm lucky that I've got sort of my wife in the office uh, two, two and a half days a week. However, when you spend all your time with your wife, you, you know, you do lack that social skills. And sometimes you think that could I be even better at what I do if I'm working with a team of people who are really passionate and I think the startup industry has a a wealth of that kind of experience at the moment and there's so many teams out there that are just creating phenomenal stuff and you do kind of think that you know I'm getting a bit older and I probably have a really terrible pension I don't have a private pension I should be sorting these things out and you think well I'm at that career stage where I could potentially earn good money I could have really good benefits I could probably get a lot out of it and it's all that kind of stuff that you know really makes me challenge each offer I get and I have had some really good offers you know like um uh I I, I won't name any companies but you know I've had some quite decent interest from me and um each time I talk to them I always give them the you know the sort of time of day to have a word with them because I think you shouldn't turn down opportunities but yeah uh, just you know what can you do it's like there's no right answer because if you're Mm. in this job you might end up pulling your hair out and all that stuff and you might regret going into this and I have dabbled I did like back in early 2013 I did sort of go and work for a bit of an entrepreneur and I was there for three months and I was supposed to be heading up his digital projects but what I ended up doing was just doing his kickstarters and it was a bit deflating because everything that I thought I'd be doing I wasn't and when I kind of spoke about it his response was like well it's on your back to do it and I was like no it's not because you haven't given me a budget or anything so I can imagine being in these Um, big companies where people are like oh my god I'd love to work for Google I'd love to work for Twitter I'd love to work for Slack you know all these things may end up just you know being (laughs) big chains of corporate meetings Mm. and Mm. that's that's a payoff really is you know you have to really think long and hard about it and at the moment I can pretty much live and work where I want to and it suits me however you know, you I do get lonely and you do kind of want to be part of something bigger. Yeah. It was interesting, though. Like, the first thing you said there was, was the thought of 
it sounded like pushing your skill, pushing your expertise mm-hmm. by being around, you yeah. know, being in that something bigger, which is it's a an interesting an interesting point. Yeah. Um, oh man, I could hear the torture in your voice there. Well, but it is, it's <laughs> like it's because, like, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I'm only coming up to thirty five, and I think that another few years, I'm just worried about missing the boat. I guess that's the thing. Really, is that like. I don't want to be a, a like sort of you know forty five, fifty five, or whatever, and uh, still got like a, a good like ten or so years ahead of me. And I, I have like you know all these younger designers have come in and taken my place, and I've not capitalised on what I've done because at the moment it is a fine line between good SEO and bad SEO. And you know the only thing that does help is that these clients kind of keep coming back for more. But I don't know if that's a a, a great business model when a lot of the startups probably don't survive more than two or three years really so um yeah it, it's it's really torturous and i think opportunity sh- needs to be thought about and you know I, I sort of do really struggle with like where where my place in the world is if it's not sitting at my desk as i have for you know the last eight years so yeah it's it's interesting for sure Whew, wow. Ooh, wow. Um, <laughs> Mike, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. Of course, check out beingfreelance.com. There's links to all of Mike's projects, including uh, Howler and Bossanova Design and, uh, and of course, how you can reach out to him on Twitter. Mike, thanks so much, though. And, I mean, good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you. And all the best being freelance. Brilliant. Nice one. Nice talking to you. 